cliffcentral.com Should I tell Lucky how to say this? That guy who is here. What does mean? I have no idea. Can you tell me? I don't know. Kobe means bend. Bend. Hula cycle. Leslie, say it. Yes. Wait, wait, wait. If you don't know, oh, right, glory. why are you using that terminology? When, uh, when do you use that terminology, uh, Ben? <laughs> just as I'm about to. Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. No, 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 no. I'm like, it's fine. We don't. No, we switch mics over. In, a, bo- in a boardroom, in a boardroom, you walk in and you say, uh-huh. "Sambonane kobisikor." <laughs> You really asked me to be to demean myself by saying that. Yeah, so what? Well, I'm not about that life. You <laughs> woke. Guys, where are we right now? <laughs> All righty. Welcome to the show. San Bonanonke. It is, frankly speaking, one hour of this. Yes, Rory, you're back. Thank goodness, eh? I'm back, homie. What did I miss? We, we, we battled without you. Yeah. Ish. I battled without you. There was oh. no one else. Homie. I'm sorry. Oh, don't touch me like that. I so tried, I tried. Oh. You know? Man, I'm, I'm happy to be when back. When you call me Sikom, I love it, you know? Yeah, I when just... I was, when I was at Kobe Sikolo there. Yeah, you know? Yeah. How are you, my friend? Strong. I like feel Mother like, Russia. I feel like you've come in with some energy here today. No, I had a um, good breakfast. You had a good breakfast. <laughs> 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 There's something that's on your mind, and it's been on your mind for a little while. And uh, it's now time to, to bring it to radio. No, no. So Because you know, we always do this, not, the conversation. It's interesting, right? We had the SADMENI thing, and a lot has been said about it. But today is not about that. But it certainly raises... Uh, questions around the non-profit sector in South Africa. Uh, this is a sector that has been, or at least civil society has been uh, lauded and credited with holding things together in South Africa, particularly through the turbulent uh, Zuma administration. And mm. they have been given a lot of credit um, for the work that they've done to make sure that our institutions remain stable, that uh, that uh, basically the corrupt government officials don't get away with a lot of the stuff. So the question then is, okay, let's now turn our eyes back onto the civil society, particularly the non-profit sector, and say, but to what extent are they accountable? We're seeing the what's happened at SED Many as an example, but um, for the amounts of money, I mean, it's over 8.1 billion rand that gets uh, that gets pushed into the non-profit sector uh, mm-hmm. through just corporate CSI. Mm-hmm. 8.1 billion rand is a lot of money. But that's we down, keep, by the way. That's down. That's down. So it's, it was probably it even was higher. More, and yeah. that's just CSI, right? So there's the other sources of funding, grants, and so on and so on. We keep you keep hearing the outcomes uh, as bad as they were all along, right? HIV/AIDS. Have we made much movement on that? Education. Every year we hear about how South African students are at the bottom. So yes, there's what government isn't doing, but what is the corporate CSI? What is the CSI sector, or at least the non-profit sector as a whole, doing? And to 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 what extent are they just there to serve their own pockets? keep people employed, make a lot of money for the executives, but not actually deliver on the impact? And how do we keep them accountable? Let's just um, put each other in terms of where we sit on this table. Yes. So you've worked for an NGO You before. are conflicted. Which NGO have I worked for? I've never worked for NGOs. I, I struggle with NGOs. I can't. You, you worked for a, okay, not an NGO, but I, a, a I social worked for a political group. party. No, 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 not the, before the political party. I've never worked for an NGO. What What are you talking about? Must you I see, mention names he now? came on air to try and... <laughs> to I'm try asking and, uh, you, I'm asking you, did you, in the Eastern Cape... When you're working in Coffee Bay? No, no, no. I didn't work for a non-profit. I worked for a for-profit company consulting to a non-profit. Aha! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so you 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 are the real devil. So you came. You came came here trying to... Because you didn't tell me about this affair. So you were trying to... (laughs) I got you. I was working for a for-profit that was consulting to a non-profit. So you were making all the money. Okay. No, but at least I'm I'm intentional. I'm saying that, look, guys, I work for a non-profit. I work for a for-profit. I am not going out saying that uh, I'm not using the, the pictures of poor people to raise funding and then taking half and saying it's a non-profit. 
I'm not. I'm, right. I'm charging a fee right. and I'm getting paid. Okay, that's good. So that's so where that's you where sit. I sit. Uh-huh. Now you work for a non-profit. Yeah, I own a non-profit. You, well, you can't I, own. Can a non-profit anything. be owned? Do you see? You see, there's already problems. Yeah. No, I, I. Okay, so you're a co-founder of a non-profit. Co-founder of a non-profit. Yes. So you, no one owns it. There are no shareholders. There's no directors. Um, but yes, we. I wouldn't call ourselves a non-profit though. That would be the wrong word for it. Uh, I would say we're a social enterprise. And, um, so this does conflict me, Rory. You're 100% right because there's a part of me that agrees with what you're saying and there's a part of me that obviously disagrees with what you're saying. So this is going to be a very interesting conversation for me. Um, I don't it's know where I'm going to It's always fun when, when both sides of you show up to the studio. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's always fun. It's no, like three, don't, the, no, the don't three of us, don't. three of us <laughs> in addition to our guests. It's always fun. It's a, it's a full house. All right. We're okay. We got some people in the, uh, in, in studio as well. Let's Let's not, uh, let's not uh, leave them out. And we're speaking to some people on the line as well. Of course, we want your comments. If you have any, uh, you can hit us up on Twitter or Facebook at Rory Shabalala or at Yebo underscore L-E-V-Y. What do you think about NGOs, non-profits? Are they just a scam, a money-making racket? Do they actually make any difference? Um and we'll have to get into some of the logistics, you know, and the nuances around this. The NGO, the MPO sector is massive, Rory. Mm. Um so, you know, we can't we can't paint the entire sector with one brush. But but, but, you're but quite we keen seem to. we seem to paint government with one brush, even though not all <laughs> departments are bad. So well, there's a show see, there, isn't these, there. These double there's standards, there. these double standards that we apply when we're holding government to account, when we're holding corporates to account, and non the non profit wants the non profit sector wants special treatment. No, 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 we're not all bad. Just some of us. Now I've heard that before. <laughs> I've heard that before many different times. Let's have this conversation. <laughs> All right, let's have this conversation. Um, Leslie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. You are part of Impact Hub, is that correct? Yes. She's not part of, she's a founder. Founder. Uh, <laughs> apologies. Props. Apologies. Apologies. Thanks, Rory. <laughs> Thanks for the briefing over here, Rory. I appreciate that. <laughs> so, Leslie, you are the founder of Impact Hub. Um, Impact Hub, what is it? Let's start there and we can, we can move on. Sure. So Impact Hub is a community, basically a community of people who want to create impact. So we have a co-working space and event space as well as a incubation programming for people who want to create impact, you know, but we really take the angle to move people to sustainability. Um, we're very big on, on profitable social ventures. We believe that you need to be viable and sustainable and, I think, you know, my personal opinion is, is, I mean, just even on this, when we speak about impact, the default thinking is that you need to be a charity. And that's not the case. It's not in homo- homogenous field. Um, I think also Impact Hub is in, um, we have 90 Impact Hubs in major cities around the world. So you're part of a global network. It's, there's a lot of peer learning, peer sh- sharing and collaboration. Mm. So le- let's talk about this word impact. Um did you guys, was it a deliberate choice of word or is it, does it actually have any relevance? We see all of these people running around saying they are social venture this, they're this. All we see is them living the good life, fellowship this, fellowship that, uh, uh, making money and so on. But the key indicators, the key social indicators that they're supposed to be proving their impact on aren't moving for Pete's sake. So where where does this where does your impact and the the needs of society come together and make a difference? Sure. So I mean the way our name came about. In fact, we used to be called the Hub. Uh, we were first uh, we first opened Impact Hub in 2005. That was the first version. Um, we didn't expect it to become a, a global network. It just grew quite organically, and we all decided to work together. Um, but at some point, everyone started calling themselves the Hub, which kind of forced us to take a step back. And, and number one, Impact Hub is locally owned by local entrepreneurs. And we're doing our third iteration um, at the moment in Joburg. So I have co-founders that have come on board. Um, but around 2011, we were forced to look in the mirror and say, like, what are we about? Especially because everyone was calling themselves Hub. And we were like, our binding thing is, is again, this word impact. You know, so for me, that lies within corporate. It lies within the gogo in the townships um, with with NGOs and the charity sector. But it is, for me, the rule of thumb is say what you do and do what you say. Um, and it, it cuts across various you know topics, be it social housing in Joburg, which is an issue through um, the future of the green economy. There is a opportunity to address climate change in an interesting new way that, that creates new industries. 
So it's 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 cross cutting. So when were you launched? When when was Impact Hub launched? So the first version in Joburg was in October 2010. Mm-hmm. And our brand new shiny space is opening up on the 2nd of March in uh, Rosebank. Okay, so let's talk impact. In six years, what impact can we attribute to Impact Hub? <laughs> wow, you had to go there. <laughs> no, but, but so, this, you is, know this what, is the like, question. So, in fact, this whole... And, and I, and I agree, like, it is prop- problematic because I can throw out the numbers and say we have 3,000 people who come through our events throw them. Throw um, them. per year. Mm. We have an average of three major events per year. We have speakers, we have incubators, people have come through our programming. We've seen our entrepreneurs go from a one-man show to having to physically move out of the space because their teams are too big for us to hold. Mm. But for me, those are success stories. Um our issue also, and you'll see this often with, uh, for me, like intermediaries, and I'd love us to actually speak about intermediaries. Oh, please, take um, us there. Is that it's hard for us to measure impact because I'm not physically going and make, making sure some kid is fed on the street. Mm. I want to support the person who can go make sure that 10,000 people are fed on the street. Yes. So does impact is it really? Except that when you raise the money, you raise it on the back of impact. You say we are going to achieve X impact because your funders want to see the impact, no? So I want to differentiate between for-profit and non-profit ventures. So when we are speaking about profitable um, social ventures, we have social and financial return that we need to showcase to the people that invest in us. Mm. We're a for-profit social venture, but we re- reinvest um, profit into the mission of the organization. Mm. When an NGO says we're going to make impact, mm-hmm. we need to be even more clear about, about what we mean. Mm. You know, like right now, you know, um, M&E is thrown around. Mm. Everyone's doing M&E. What does that really mean? You know, that measures, have you done your activity? But for me, impact measurement looks at, have you, have you, have you done what you said you're going to do in terms of numbers, in terms of reach, in terms of outcomes? But also, we're in a situation now in South Africa, especially, I think globally, but more so regionally, where the ones who are doing verification on impact numbers are often not accredited. Most of the time, they're not accredited. Mm. Um, there isn't a strong body. Like the SROI network is trying to formalize it and make it far more clear that you become accredited before you go do assessment. And for me, the funders need to start forming great relationships with accredited um, Assessors. <laughs> um, I'm just listening here to right now. I'm just like, you know, because the thing is, Please right? excuse my co-host today. He's conflicted. He's, He's not conflicted. Yeah. Here's the He's thing. Captured. Yeah. Here's the thing about the NGO sector is why do NGOs exist? And I think we have to ask that question, right? Why do social interest groups exist? Because they're fulfilling a need that needs that hasn't been filled in society, right? Either by the private sector or government. Okay. So, I think the intention, most of the time, is a good intention. That's how it starts, right? We need to do this. Then I agree with you, Rory. Impact is important, this idea of impact. And what do we, what do we call impact? Because I think the problem in the world is because we live in a capitalistic society, the NGO sector, I mean, you, you talk about charity, is absolutely not spared when it comes to capitalism, right? Because funders want to fund projects that look on paper successful. So that mm-hmm. me as the big corporate, you know, that CSI money you're talking about, that 8 billion rand that you're talking yeah. about, Big funders who have big responsibilities, like 2% of their, their total income, have to be able to say that they've made impact. So yeah. they've also got to say they've made impact by saying, we funded the organization, blah, 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 who has 100,000 people now working in call centers. That's good news for us, you know. But the guy in the Eastern Cape who's arguably doing more for his community or her community doesn't get funded because – one, can't get to job, can't get in front of these funders. Two, doesn't have the ability in, in the organization to actually create all the, the forms and the M&E that you're talking about that's measuring or monitoring and evaluation mm. um, to actually even be thought of as funded. So this whole idea of um, funding and the NGO sector is compromised because the truth of the matter is NGOs rely heavily on the capitalistic system. 
I think let's get let's get somebody else in on the conversation. Oh, you don't want to you don't want to reply to that. You don't want to reply no, to that. No, I want to reply to it, <laughs> but I want to bring somebody else in the conversation to back me up as I'm about uh, to reply. Oh, my host doesn't want to reply. He's, he's <laughs> conflicted. Sorry, let's, guys. Uh, <laughs> let's get Lizelle Shepard on the line. Uh, Lizelle uh, is uh, works for Ingatelo. Uh, hello, Lizelle. Hi Rudy, hi Andrew, and hello to Leslie as well. Hi. Hey Lizelle. Oh, Lizelle is actually is actually quite a, a nice person. She, no one ever greets the other guests, so she sounds lovely. <laughs> she sounds awesome. I want to fund her. <laughs> <laughs> hey Lizelle. So we're having a big debate. If only it was that easy. <laughs> oh, she doesn't come. Mm. Andrew, Andrew, watch your easy, words. Easy, easy, uh, easy. Lizelle, we, we're discussing we're deep in conversation here about uh, whether non-profits are money making schemes for those that uh, operate them or whether we are seeing impact. We're seeing the social indicators that would demonstrate whether we're having impact, not really moving in any meaningful way, yet more and more money gets pumped into uh, the, 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 the non-profit space. Um, I think where I'd like us to start with you, Lizelle, is just help us out with the terminology because we're throwing around a lot of different words. Uh, Leslie just told us about profit-making, social ventures, there's non-profits, there's NGOs, uh, there's charities. Can you just give us just a, a, some form of a conceptual framework of just how does this whole space work and who are these different uh, players? Okay, so the language of the sector can complicate a little thing, um, can complicate things a little because often we think we're on the same page and then we discover we're talking about different things. And so um, let's start with the term um, non-profit. Um, so, you know, there's the NPO Act, um, which is um, the act that allows for the registration of nonprofit organizations through the Department of Social Development. So that is a legal construct, nonprofit organization. So to be able to refer to yourself in terms of that legal construct, you need to be registered as a nonprofit organization. Now, there are entities and formations that exist that aren't necessarily registered yet, but they describe themselves as non-profits. So you can be a non-profit in quite a descriptive way, and then you can be registered as a non-profit organization through the MPO Act. Then you have public benefit organization, which is the registration that you acquire through SARS, which is the, um, which is the registration type through which tax benefits derive. And then there's the terminology that we uh, often, it's NGO, non-governmental organization. And that's something that we've debated um, in our organization, whether to refer to ourselves as an NGO or not. And what we um, tend to go with is to describe ourselves as a non-profit organization. We are registered as one, but as in terms of a descriptor, we'd go with a, um, the non-profit organization descriptor. Um, because to us, the NGO connotation is this idea of some big international entity or organization. Funded that by, is, the CS, by the CIA um, recent, recently. Oh, that's, oh, that's, what, that's what NGO has become synonymous with, no? Right, so, so there so the different connotations to that word. Um, so I think it's something that organizations need to debate for themselves how, in, how they want to language the work, right? Mm -hmm. Then um, there's this term called social enterprise. Now, social enterprise doesn't exist as a legal um, construct in South African law, um, but there are different entity formations that social enterprises can take. So you can have a for-profit social enterprise and you can have non-profit social enterprises. Um, and so within the non-profit social enterprise construct, you could either be a voluntary association, a trust, or a non-profit company. Um, I don't want to get too stuck in all the yeah. terminology, but I hope that clarifies it's things really, a little. It's, it's very confusing, but uh, I think let's get into the nub of the issue here. Uh, Can I just say something to, to one of the yes. points there? I mean, for me, the term non-government organization, mm. NGO, for me, it, it speaks about we are adamant that we are against government. Okay. Like, I can't stand that term. And, and what I'm seeing a lot, and especially lately, is kind of like the, this breed of angry activism coming up and saying we are against government. But and I don't understand. That is not is, is, the, non, the is a non-profit organization against profit? It's, against, it's, it's for sustainability. But you, you see, 
That, that, that was a, polit- and, that and was so, a political so, move. Did you see what she did? <laughs> and and so, so, so if I can just jump in, it's, it's just about how these different spheres actually interact with each other. And so I think Leslie and I are absolutely on the same page. Um, that it's very much about how civil society interacts with government, how we interact with the for-profit space and how these spaces interact with each other. Um, there's just w- one more clarification I wanted to make on the social enterprise space. So even though you don't necessarily um, ascribe the term social enterprise to your organization, it doesn't stop you from being socially enterprising in how you resource your organization. Yeah. Lizelle, I-, I want us to get back onto, onto the, the major question here are social or non-profits uh, money-making schemes for their operators or are they driving meaningful social impact if you had to choose either yes or no what would your answer be I, I work in the sector and I've been in the sector for a number of years. I encounter lots of organizations um, through the course of a year. And so I have absolute faith in the sector that the sector exists and people who work in it exist to effect social change for social good. Then why does this question persist um, uh, to the both of you? Because it, it's, uh, it, it really raises questions if, you, if you're seeing all of this money going into the sector. Um, one of our one of our, our listeners is saying, dude, I am losing my mind uh, listening to this. This is Bradley Shaw. He says, okay, so they cannot measure impact. Then how do they respond to these funders? If they get money from USAID or DFID, surely they would need to report on results and impact. It sounds like um, the, the link between the, the, the funds that come into the sector and the impact that we see isn't really clear. So why does this question persist if you guys insist that uh, – the sector exists to make meaningful impact. So why do you say you guys? Okay, let's, that's a separate topic. So, uh, <laughs> no, let's get into it. Let's get into sure. it. We're not afraid. So, I'm, uh, saying, I'm, gonna, I'm saying you guys in yeah, the non-profit sector. So it's fine. And by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm for impact. So I just want to make that clear. So I think, you, you know, for me, one of the saddest things that, that I've seen, not only in South Africa, but like across the region, is that, you know, quite often the founders, like you and me and every guy, we want to make a meaningful difference in society. So we, it's not always clear about where and how we could find resources. And then boom, we find out about, you know, these terms, nonprofit organization, etc. So you go out and you create meaningful change and you have your initial reporting. And I've seen way too often that number one, either the founders leave and the rest of the staffing are not connected to the initial mission. That's one thing. Second thing is sometimes, and again, because of a limit of resources or various factors, people don't create the change in a longer term as what they did in the beginning. But they keep selling those romantic stories of in the beginning bleeding heart stories. And funders keep funding the initial story, whether they've gone rogue or not. (laughs) And And I'm not saying everyone's intentionally going rogue, but we're not, we're not initial, we're not analyzing long term what people are doing. So I'm finding NGOs bounce from funders to funders because often if a funder sees, okay, after three years, they're doing not that great. I don't be affiliated with them any longer. They pull out and the NGO will go and resell that same story to the next guy that comes along. So for me, that's an issue. Rory, I, yeah, and- sorry, mm-hmm. go for it, Lizelle. Yeah, I, I just wanted to add to what Leslie is saying about the long-term nature of change and how the complexity of society and the issues that we are trying to address um, cannot necessarily be addressed in a straight line. And so organizations are accountable to a range of stakeholders who, depending on their investment or their um, commitment to an organization, have different re- reporting requirements. Um, and so... Reporting does happen in the sector. Certain projects are more easy to measure than others, but I think that we're losing the long-sighted nature of the work that we're intending to do, and I think we're discounting the complexity of problems as they exist. And if you look at the, the, the organizations who are trying to effect change in society and kind of see that as a virtuous cycle, there's an opposing vicious cycle of things that keep going wrong. And it's like Leslie's example earlier of she can't ensure that the child actually gets the slice of bread at the end of the day. Um, 
It's about recognizing that sometimes there's a kink in the system of the virtuous cycle that one project um, can affect change, but things come undone with projects elsewhere. I think we're not also necessarily acknowledging how interconnected the work and the system ought to be, and that is a criticism that I might level um, against civil society, that we often don't find sufficient connecting points for the work to be more effective, really. Uh, I think that this is this is a very interesting space, and Lizel, 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 Lizel. Why am I saying Lizel? I'm saying like the French way, Lizel. It's Rory. Uh, oh, it's Rory. Okay, cool. Let's blame Rory. That's cool. I'm fine with that. Um, the big, the interesting thing you bring up some big things, and, and let's deep dive into some of those things because it's good to use a management consulting speaker when we speak about this stuff because it's about the language that you use, but. I think the issue with this whole area is impact, right? You know, this idea of impact, the definition of impact. Because we are in a system where we're desperate to show impact, those stories you are speaking about, Leslie, have to be bigger than they are. They have to be. You have to embellish them. So let me give you an example that's very close to my heart, uh, Rory. It's my own example. At Umuzi, when we started in 2009, we did some cool stuff. We did some exhibitions. We did use photography to make change. Uh, we worked in townships. We worked with high school kids. Um, we had very specific uh, agenda points that we wanted to raise, and we were going to use photography to create stories for critical thinking, for creative outlets. And it was very difficult to measure the impact. But we carried on and we sold good stories. And I think what it came down to, if I'm honest with myself, and this is upon lots of reflection and therapy sessions, is that the the impact that we made was actually based on the individuals who worked in the organization rather than its constituents. Rather than so, the beneficiaries. Rather than the beneficiaries, exactly. So the people that volunteered and that worked at Amuzi were rocking. They got a lot out of it. They learned about their country more. They found about the issues, so on and so on. Got the, fellowships, got into business. Exactly. The, the constituents, however, didn't. Mm-hmm. The constituents at the end of our program still were in deep salute, still not changed. Nothing happened, right? Mm-hmm. So it was a good question moment to go, hey, what is our impact? And I think that's the problem. NGOs don't have a space, non-profits, you know, whatever you want to call them, PBOs, P, you know, PSOs, whatever it is, right? NPCs don't have a space where they can have that honest conversation to say, how much value are we actually doing and are we doing it the right way? Because what happens is you bring those questions to funders, funders will stop funding you. Mm-hmm. And then your organization is dead. We were lucky in a way that we had some funding mm-hmm. that we could actually continue and we had a pins down moment. We were like, right, let's stuff this. I mean, if we're not making any impact, what's the point of us being here? We can all go earn money in corporate mm-hmm. jobs, right? And I'm, I'm proud to say that I think we've done a bit of work and, and we can actually measure our impact in, in terms of real things. And I think that's it, right? Impact should be real. It should just be like, how many jobs you get? How much money do those people get? Or how many, you know, um, how many AIDS victims are now directly affected by your program and are actually, you know, getting help? How many disabled people are getting, whatever it is, right? Um, but I think then there's a question about outputs and outcomes, right? And, and, and I think maybe assist me to understand to what extent are we measuring output? Because I can set up a, a factory that produces um, people with certificates, for example, that's an output, but it does not mean that that person's lot in life has, has fundamentally changed. And, you know, my understanding of impact is I have only made impact if I have fundamentally changed the power structure between, uh, that beneficiary and other people or the, the world around them. Wait, now, just define, I, define outcomes and output just so that our listeners. No, no, so, so outputs is what you, what, what comes out of the sausage machine, right? It's, mm. it's, uh, whether it's a person with a certificate because we ran a program, whether it's, uh, the number mm. of people we had in our space. And so we can count them and say, oh, those people came mm-hmm. into our space and they left our space. But if they came in and they left the same person or, or the haven't changed, or I've swapped one, one form of oppressive power for another, so, for example, you find that in certain environments, uh, we replace uh, one 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 benefactor with another. Now, I'm the one that's giving handouts. It's no longer government mm. giving the social grant. But mm. this person remains fundamentally dependent on somebody else. Then the outcome hasn't changed. I've just changed the output. I can say that I am the one that made sure that this person gets food for today. Mm. Um, to what extent are yeah. you guys and, – and I use you guys and, Leslie, you will forgive me. But <laughs> you understand what I mean. Yes. You people. Don't you do non-profit. Don't you do impact. Yeah. Good impact. Yes. That entire – 
space. Um, sure. To what extent are we measuring uh, outcomes versus outputs? So, in the and, and, and I'd love to hear Liesl's view as well. Um, in the South African ecosystem, we're not really funding. We don't really get funders that found outcomes. It's far more um, output driven. Um, so for me, that's a huge problem. And, and also within the whole kind of CSI space, it's far too interlinked with the marketing department. You know, so mm. corporates want to showcase numbers. And mm. I mean, if I go back to something that I'm still annoyed about is the CEO sleep out. And, and I know we had a oh, focus no, show please, on that. Please, please but, so just my, please, my whole point on that is. Because <laughs> Andrew won't stop. <laughs> you know, so. If you say that you're working and supporting the homeless, do that. And there needs to be a direct line to the homeless and let the homeless contribute to to what they they think the outcomes are and should be. So like that yeah. is one thing. We're seeing that disconnect. We're also seeing a, a disconnect between the heart and the and there's heart to do this work from my people, if if you like, and a skills gap. You know, so quite mm-hmm. often that gogo in clips rate knows that she fed 600 kids in that week. She can measure it. She can see the child is fed. But she doesn't know how to package her work and communicate it in a way to access the support that, that she deserves. Whereas we're often seeing people who do know, and I see this a lot, who know how to make a pretty marketing report. Yes. And sell that and story. And that corporates are attracted money. to that. Liesl, you, 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 uh, Ingatello runs the Ingatello nonprofit clinic and, uh, you have, uh, and you provide the service for free to nonprofits and I imagine it's some sort of a consulting, uh, consulting, uh, service towards nonprofits just to make them stronger and more effective. Uh, to what extent are you seeing this problem of, uh, output and people having their good intentions and having the heart for it, but it's just not translating in a way that we could say this is outcomes driven impact? Yeah, and so through our clinic, it's a question we see often, and then for ourselves as a nonprofit organization, it's a question that we have to ask and answer for ourselves. And I think it is at the, the building relationship stage with a prospective supporter or funder or whoever the stakeholder might be, it's about being realistic about the outputs, outcomes, and income and, and impact that can actually be achieved. And I think some nonprofit organizations make the mistake of overselling what can be achieved and that goes to what Leslie was describing as people have these huge hearts but don't actually recognize all of the steps that necessarily go into running an effective organization and um, into running programs that are useful and interventions that are effective. So I think there's a, a degree of realism that needs to come into it. And I maybe just want to bet for the funding community to say that the funding community is as vast as the um, non-profit community and that there are funders who are quite matured, to, uh, matured enough to understand how the non-profit sector works and actually do create spaces for people to have these conversations about monitoring and evaluation and how that plays out in organizations and what they can anticipate to um, to get back in terms of feedback. And I think it's about organizations also advocating on their own behalf to be clear about what it is they can offer, whether it's a mix of tools and a mix of approaches that they can use in which to tell the story of the organization and the work. So whether it's um, technical templates or whether it is storytelling or case studies or photographs, etc. And so um, it's also recognizing that different organizations are at different capacity levels in terms of their skill sets. And so um, that's where I also have an issue, but that's where we try to work with organizations in trying to capacitate them sufficiently just in terms of how and where they're positioned. So it's not easy stuff, and there's not one particular answer just given the range of organizations, small organizations, faith-based organizations, community-based organizations, to organizations who are situated in the city and are skilled quite differently and capacitated quite differently. I just want to, to, to get back to the other side of this question, right? So we're speaking about impact, but we're also asking whether they're more self-serving. So the Trilog report for 2016 uh, shows that most of the CSI expenditure is concentrated in Gauteng, Western Cape, and KwaZulu-Natal. Now, incidentally, those are also the richest three um, uh, provinces in South Africa. So then the question becomes, um, you know, that do nonprofits follow the money or do they follow the need? Because if if we were really 
if the, if this was really to be believed, then we would see more non-profits in the poorer provinces. But actually, the, the poorer provinces are getting the least amount of funding and are getting the least amount of programs uh, implemented in them, and you're seeing the richer provinces getting more. So this then, if, if for an, from an outsider's perspective, you look at it and you say, look, they seem to be following the money and not the need. So is it unfair then to ask whether non-profits are self-serving? We've got over 200,000 non-profits in South Africa. And they're, they're trying to solve, let's, uh, as an example, the same six problems. We're not seeing those problems moving, or we're not seeing the needle moving on those problems in any meaningful way. But we are seeing non-profit executives building their profiles. We're seeing them making lots of money and so on. And we're seeing them following the money and not the need. So is it unfair to then ask that question? Yeah, I mean, I don't think that most NGOs set out to, to follow the money. I think, you know, people, it's, it's a really tough industry to work in if i if i may use that 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 language um i think for me one of the the issues that we have intend to maybe create change in a certain area in south africa be it hiv aids or you know whatever it may be is education but we're not seeing enough relationships between rural peri-urban and what's happening in the cities and i think like quite often people start with in the area that they know that they're comfortable with the intent of spreading out but it doesn't often happen. Yeah. There are only there are too few examples where people have managed or created that ability to form meaningful relationships beyond main, uh, main, mainstream cities. But when there's so many non-profits in Gauteng, then you guys are obviously then um, uh, slicing the pie very thin. Mm-hmm. So it means the few that can actually do the work uh, have fewer resources because they have to share it with the many that can't do the work. So is this then, this then points to self-serving. Instead of supporting those that are doing great work, you start your own non-profit in Gauteng, you divide the pie, you make, you make them weaker and less effective. So does it point to the fact that I'm asking again, is it unfair then for somebody who's looking inside and saying, these guys are just self-serving? I think, uh, Rory, you've got to, you've got to really analyze those statistics because the Trilog deport, uh, report there will be like, yeah, the most money is going to KwaZulu-Natal, Gauteng, or Western Cape. And, and the question there is, is the money, how are they measuring that money? Is the money yeah. going into the headquarters, i.e. Yeah. of a space? And therefore, of course, they're going to be in Joburg, Cape Town, and, and KwaZulu-Natal. I mean, we could look at the same with corporates, right? No, no massive corporate has their, their head office in East London, Why? unless they're, because the money's not there, the JSC's not there, the people aren't there, the skills aren't there, right? But are the, is that money that has gone into those three things that's been sourced there gone into different locations? So we've got to think about that as well. We've got to, you know, we've got to really look into the statistics here and go, hey, like what's happening here? Now, in terms of your other thing, which I think is more important, your other point, which is, is the needle moving? So on education, I think I would agree with you. There's a huge problem there. And I think the, the problem, unfortunately, is systematic. So it doesn't matter how many NGOs pop up and are doing amazing work. The system is mm. broken from a governmental perspective who's supposed to supply the most education to people in South Africa, right? HIV AIDS is slightly different, right? We had a huge problem with AIDS when Tawam Beki was in presidency. He didn't believe that HIV caused AIDS. 300,000 people died. That figure has dissipated. We've actually got a bigger problem now because AIDS is still an issue in South Africa, but because it's not the talking point, because it's not exciting in South Africa anymore, funders are like, well, AIDS is not a thing, so we don't need to fund it. But education, that's a maths and science. That's a thing. You know, like I want our organization to be making inroads into maths and science. So we've got funders moving away from core issues. So this is why I'm talking about the capitalistic system, right? It's like what's exciting Mm -hmm. to the people that have the money in order to fund those NGOs. You see what I mean? You see, you're you're deflecting. You're deflecting. No, you're denying you're deflecting. Let's get Liesl in on this. And Liesl, the reason. Reason I, I you don't dis- like my comment. Reason- That's why you have to yes, I don't it. like your comment. The, re- the reason I disagree I'm with that. I'm not sure you're going to like this comment either. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, but look, a lot of the questions and the kinds of examples we've been using have been related to organizations who work in terms of service delivery type projects, right? And then it's about recognizing that service delivery work and organizations who work in that space aren't operating in isolation and there are broader systemic issues that need to be addressed. And the organizations who are trying to address those kinds of issues are often the organizations that are regarded with quite a bit of skepticism 
mm. right, from mm. government, mm. and skepticism from capitalistic entities as well. And so, which is why you find CSI being directed towards many service delivery type projects, which are much needed and it's necessary, but very little of that funding being directed to organizations who are doing the research, who are doing the advocating, etc. Mm. And it's because very often those social justice projects aren't necessarily understood or they or are seen as, seen a as um, mm. too intangible. But I think until the balance of until the balance is achieved between the different kinds of work that exists in this nonprofit space um, can kind of connect. I think there's always going to be this disjuncture or the question about is the needle moving or not? Or why is the mo- needle not moving any faster? Is it an unfair question, though? Is it an unfair question about being self-serving? No, about uh, why is the needle not moving? And, and um, you know... So, can I comment on that? No, I think it's a necessary question. Mm. I don't think it's an unfair question, okay. and I think it's about us as a sector and, and as organizations looking to see how can we be more effective, what should we be doing differently, are our interventions the right interventions, have we formed the right partnerships, what are we not looking at? So I think it's a good question, it's a hard one to answer though, and it's hard not to be defensive when answering that question. Mm. So I, mean, I think that you know, the, the, the competition for funding is, is very real. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and the thing is like, you know, people and, and NGOs tend to take on, they don't stay in their lane and, and focus on one area that, you know, beat education. Then they tap into all the other uh, social needs of that community mm-hmm. instead of partnering up with, 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 with other organizations where there is alignment. So it's self-serving. In, often, yes. Mm. Um, where we, where I do see the sector coming together and in fact, broader impact ecosystem is in moments of crisis. You know, so if you look at xenophobia during the xenophobia attacks, there was quick organization. I, I was part of it and many NGOs, corporates, government, we all came together and there was measured impact. Mm. My issue now is that there isn't, now that we're out of the mainstream media, there isn't sustained support to make sure that interventions, you know, the, where, where the change happens, it's, it's longer term, it's a three or even 20 year Term intervention, mm. but because there isn't that spike and often the the media push, mm. it's often not sustained. Another example, if I may, just two more points. Even if you look at what's happening in the U.S. right now, a lot of um, big corporates are getting whacked when they seem to be aligned with Trump. When they change the story to doing good and coming up with solutions, be for immigration or other social issues, they're getting positive attention. So they will keep investing in that. Um, I do think there are a few spaces where there is collaboration with NGOs and they are pushing the needle. You know, so I'm inspired by West, Westbury Youth Center, um, well, in Westbury. It's next to school. They're serving the school. But it's a whole bunch of NGOs that have come together in one room and they share services, they share space. And, you know, so each one solves a particular problem and passes the beneficiary or to the next NGO. For, so it's a full range of services, but they're very, very intentional about working together. I'm, I'm if, if I can just add to what Leslie's saying, um, sorry, Andrew. No worries. It's, it's just that there's also transactional cost involved with working together and forming partnerships. It's not just as easy as let's work together because at the end of the day, organizations are comprised of people. Organizations have particular work ethic. They've got particular style of interventions or approaches or philosophy or practice related to their work. So very often you see that partnerships or collaborations don't come together as often as one would hope because A, there necessarily isn't um, enough resource to cover that transactional cost of actually getting together, finding a space to meet. I'm not saying it can't happen, but I'm saying that's often a reason why. And then often people differ on points of principle or points of um, practice. And so it's not to be naive about the nonprofit space either. Um, there are people with ego and people yeah. have um, very different philosophies and points of view. So that also needs to be taken into account into why often organizations appear to be working in a silo. Not that but, that's, but Liesl, um, I mean, on that point, right, to, there, there must be, to use the language of, of the sector, there are perhaps, let's say, three validated and proven uh, theories of change um, as far as education is concerned. 
But for those three, you've got 20 different organizations doing 20 different things. At which point do you as civil society start to start to uh, call each other out and say, guys, those other 17 have not been proven to work and they should stop getting funded because they are they are constraining the ability of the three that have been proven to work to really achieve impact. So it looks like you all then want to kumbaya. No, I agree. We need a blacklist. I, I don't know about that. I disagree with that. Mm. And I'll tell you why, Rory, because you, you, you're assuming, and I, I'm putting words in your mouth here, you're assuming that the NGO sector does not work within the capitalistic Environment and it does. You keep blaming the capitalist. I'll tell you why. Let me finish. I'll tell you why. Because <laughs> the truth of the matter is, if we've got twenty education um, organizations, interest groups that are doing similar things or different things, right, and fifteen of them don't work, right. They will not get funded. It's as simple as that. That eight billion number that you said, it's a big number. It looks big, right? Wait, it looks but big. But they won't but get funded because they're not achieving impact. So shouldn't they die then? They will die. Yes. So That's why the aren't they dying? No, they are dying. That's the no. point. You see, here's the thing. We talk about that number. It's a, such a beautiful number. Everyone talks about it in reports. 200,000 legal NGOs are registered. Firstly, we need to interrogate that number as well. How many of those NGOs are actually running right now? Probably not 200,000. Secondly, mm. what was the number? Right? Because it's easy to say 200,000 is now. What wasn't it? Was it 400,000? Has it gone down? That 8 billion number is a big number. It was 150,000 in 2015 or 2013. Okay, with 50,000. Those are only registered. Exactly, with 50,000 non registered. -registered But here's the point, right? It's the social development maybe because of lack of capacity, doesn't have the capacity to continue to say, well, these are the ones that are operating, these are the ones that are not operating, because I'm part of that system, right? No one in government has come back to me ever once I got my certificate mm-hmm. to say, are you still running? Are you still okay? Yeah. No, no one. So those 200,000... Should your colleagues in the non-profit sector not be doing that? I mean, you, you've got the abilities. M&E is, this a is what I'm thing. saying. It gets a lot of funding. Where does the M&E fit in? in? Please, Lizelle, <laughs> you don't need to jump in. You're in here with us. Just go. <laughs> so, and then I'll go up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think being all the way in Cape Town and on the phone line, it's like I, I can't pick up on the visual cues in the... Oh, you should see the, the visual cues. They're amazing. <laughs> But, but nonetheless, um, just to say that NGOs are held accountable in different ways by the various stakeholders, whether it's the board of the organization, whether it's staff within the organization, funders, and funders do their talking by either continuing to fund or um, or not funding the organization anymore. Beneficiaries can hold an organization to account. Interest groups can hold um, organizations to Lisa, account. does that so really happen, though? Sorry? Does that really happen? So they can, but does it does it really happen? So I want to give you an example, right? The largest mm. CSI fund manager in South Africa is Chikululu. They manage, I think, 500 million rand or more uh, of, of CSI funds, for example. Um, to what extent are they being uh, looked at and saying, Chish, you guys are actually responsible for a lot of uh, the ability of the sector to, to make an impact? they Two, uh, between the two of their executive directors, uh, they get paid 3 million, 3.5 million rand in 2015, right? So you're seeing all of this and you're saying, but these people, so we're using them as an example because they're the biggest, probably if not in South Africa and they're in the whole continent, right? Um, and we say they can be held accountable. We can see money being withdrawn. We can see these things, but is it happening? Are we seeing them being asked the tough questions that we ask of corporate CEOs when, when we say, you're paid this much in relation to the lowest paid worker. Do, does it really happen and who does that? Cool. So, I mean, I think like within, within their case, they, they're accountable to the banks and the various organizations, the Anglos that, that they serve. Mm-hmm. You know, so they have their own unique um, metric, if you like, that they need to achieve. But there isn't one clear standard form as, of assessment that we've all agreed on. Um, we do have a South African social economy working group um, that we're busy formalizing. There's been uh, three conferences where there's been a couple hundred people on or organizations at each um, conference from various parts of South Africa that have come and come together. And in the last one, there was a lot of focus around where and how our, is the NGO sector relating to labor laws. Um, because that's an issue in itself, you know. So not only are you battling to attract talent, uh, you're doing this from heart, and now suddenly you need to also figure out not only impact metrics, but making sure that your staff are well paid. So there's a lot of sub-issues that are 
being discussed. Um, I think, you know, it is moving too slow. Um, and for me, part of this is it, the reason is because it's a bunch of people coming together and volunteering time. They, it's yeah. not a supported group doing this. Yeah. And just building on from Leslie's point and maybe just countering Rory's question a little bit. Rory's the bad um, guy. You're the book. bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry? Carry on, carry on. Oh, oh, there's this book called Uncharitable by Dan Pallotta, and he speaks about the economic divide between for-profits and non-profits. So why is it that for-profits are allowed to um, remunerate, um, operate on longer timelines, employ more risk, and market, but when non-profit organizations who need to be attracting the best talent, who need longer time horizons to achieve impact, who should be marketing their work and talking about their work and putting voice and visibility to it and who um, should be trying out new projects and programs or um, precluded from any kind of risk element in their work. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an interesting thing for us to think about just how we operate as as non-profits. Why is there shame in paying somebody a salary commensurate with oh, the kind goodness. of work and the kind of thinking that they're bringing I'm recording sector? this right now and I'm just going to play it back to my funders. It's fantastic. Uh, we got we got to wrap up, but before we do, very quickly, Rory, mm. you've, you've been labeled as the bad guy in this, which I don't think you are. I think your point about output versus outcomes is incredible and I'm 100% on, on, on top right. of that. No, 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 but I think that 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 for me, that for me really um, anchors a lot of the the frustrations that I have in the sector, because there's certain groups that I really get irritated with, and it's because output versus outcomes. There's a difference, right? And we often group it together. The one quick question that I want to hear from you is, why do you feel so strongly about this? Because if we can answer that question, maybe we can look at ourselves and go, why do we blame government as well? Why do we group government like that as well? Because we clearly do it. What is it about this sector that really gets under your skin? No, so I think it's, look, there are non-profits that are doing good work. So we, this doesn't take away from that. I think the, and I've worked, I've worked in and around the non-profit sector quite extensively. So it's, it, I think the issue though is that we're not holding each other to account mm -hmm. uh, as we should. Um, and yet a, a, a large portion of the non-profit sector uh, has given itself the role of holding government and others to account. I have questions about does the non-profit sector have a transformation problem, right? So who are the faces, uh, who are, who are, who are, who are driving this change, change yeah. through what lens, through mm -hmm. what, through what, uh, you know, through. So all of these things is the non-profit sector for me seems to be a hypocrite in many ways. Ways. Um, and the, where is the impact that we're supposed to see? And wh why should we not be asking these questions? We asked the largest CSI fund manager to come in, and they said, "What does this have to do with us?" That mm. was their answer to us. Mm. So, so you see, it's it's just a weird kind of setup where you're seeing people who who are who are saying that they want to make an impact and change the world and so on. And then the question becomes, then who does it serve? Is it really serving the people that it needs to be serving? Or is it something that is really just good for other people's careers and so on? Mm. I think we're going to have to leave it there. Uh, Liesl Shepard, thank you so much. Um, it has been a pleasure speaking to you. Leslie Lombard, thank you very much for your time uh, uh, in studio. I'm going to write a blog to... Respond to Rory's uh, last This is reminding me all over about the years <laughs> of the past. There, please, <laughs> please, please pass our regards to your lovely team. That you guys are doing great work. Thank oh, you. Oh, so now much. they're doing great work. No, Rory. they're doing great. Work. <laughs> they give free services to nonprofits oh, and they're empowering them. You must go take your nonprofit to them. I, I hope to the Inyatelo so. nonprofit clinic services are free. They hit them up. Listen, thank you so much for listening. Thank and if you, you missed, much. if you missed any of that conversation, you got to check it out uh, cliffcentral.com forward slash frankly speaking hey that's what a weekend conversation should be about right that is exactly we're just going to call it a weekend to you be, know, just because we can exactly exactly by Listen. the way Impact Hub Johannesburg launching when is it launching launch party 2nd of March 2nd of check March check out Facebook Impact a wonderful space people who are, are we dedicated getting paid to for Impact this? are we getting paid for this <laughs> it we're getting an invitation they're non-profits this man. is a capitalistic system <laughs> I want money no the intentions we pay on intentions <laughs> have a lovely day ciao ciao cliffcentral.com